Welcome to this week's episode of Trusted Tech Talks podcast with me, Rihanna, and my guest speaker, Jason Kingston from Cube Thinking. On the last episode, we explored that BA market, the trends, future predictions, and what kind of might hold out in the BA space. This week, we're actually taking a different perspective and we're taking a candidate view of the market. So this is going to be more about how you can stand out as a BA candidate to the businesses that you really want to work for. So most importantly, we will be covering the do's and don'ts of what to do in an interview, how to write the perfect CV, and how you should come across in an interview to make sure that you secure that perfect role for you. The BA market is absolutely booming at the moment. There's more vacancies than there are candidates um, in terms of that hiring managers want to hire. So to make you more competitive, I'm going to ask Jason what you can do to stand out as a BA uh, to make sure that you get the role and you can work for a company that you really want to work for. So hopefully all of this advice will help you secure your next perfect role. If not, let us know. If you've got any follow-up questions, drop us a quick message and we'll try and offer as many much advice as we possibly can to help. Um, so yeah, so kickstarting it off then. So I guess firstly, let's just start with, this is something you've not seen as a question actually. So I guess to start things off, Jason, you, when you was a BA as a candidate, how did you find it as a candidate in the BA market? And it, it was interesting, actually, because there were certain cases where I think it's, building on the conversation we had last time, there's, there's a little bit more precision now of understanding what you are recruiting for and equally yeah. as a BA, what you're likely to land for. And what I would say is you could have been going in there with my background, which is more of a traditional BA, with mm. a digital slant, if you would, and then you would realise that halfway through the interview, you know what, they just want a requirements gatherer. And that may be great for somebody to think, right, I'm going to earn 45K to just to do that. But a lot of BAs, as overthinkers as they are, if you're not getting stimulated in that thinking zone, it will just push it to, you know, not to destruction, but it will push it to certainly to be on distraction. So I think certainly when I was looking, it was a case of what's the story that's being told here? What's the problem that they are trying to solve? And what are you looking for the BA to be involved in? And equally as well, are you going to be brought in as a big cog in a small wheel or a small cog in a big wheel and how does that land um, yeah. and how does that land with yourself as a personality type you may just want to work on individual problems within a larger organization uh, and i worked for example with shop direct worked in the merger there and worked for jd williams and Brown group big organizations with their the, the the exam question that you brought in for was can you look at logistics can you look at um, customer reclaims, whatever it would be, but you still have some clarity, and that was a really attractive thing. And they made really enjoyable interviews and great jobs that followed. And I think where sometimes it was the case that sometimes recruiting managers or the organisation they didn't really know what the problem was that they were trying to solve, but just we need a BA. Now, yeah. if that's the situation as a BA who's looking for that fulfilment of what's the problem you want to solve. That could be incredibly frustrating. And I think in that situation, if that discovery came in an interview, even if you're offered a job, you may then choose to decline the job because actually, individually, it's just not going to be stimulating. There's some yeah. people may say that's arrogant, arrogant and you can create a full of a job. But as per the previous conversations, a lot of BAs have pretty high IQ and EQ. That emotional intelligence can often be, you know, Lead to some vulnerabilities, I guess, if not being stimulated, you know, it can uh, the, 
devil finds work for idle hands and an idle mind. Um, so that would be, that's, that's just a personal take. Now, I recognise that many BAs will be listening to this thinking, what a load of rubbish. That's not the case for me. That's just my personal take. Um, yeah, as BAs, yeah. we've all got a rich tapestry of different people who are BAs there. No, perfect. I guess then in terms of um, when you were actively looking and, you know, you were finding your next contract or your next perm role, mm-hmm. when you were looking, how did it work then? Was it more networking? Was it more you relied on previous people to refer you to companies or did you do the traditional job advert, you applied for it, you obviously... Oh, I'm just trying to think. No, so as I moved from... Home shopping, where we did the had the lean six, so that six sigma background, and went to JD Williams, which was for the lean bit. So there was a mm. there was a part of the journey that I wanted. So I wanted to move from beyond six sigma into lean into digital products, and then wanted to, as was the case, we moved to hard sales and stuff from so tech learnings that I'd taken from lean manufacture into yeah. social housing to drive up efficiencies there, um, and. Those roles were just old school. It was in the newspaper in the Manchester Evening News. <laughs> so it was as it was as old school as that. But then, I mean, you're going back to sort of 2004 uh, through to sort of 2006. So at that stage, 2008 even. So at that stage, the role as a BA wasn't necessarily there. Those first roles were as a quality, sorry, as a process improvement coordinator. So yeah, being yeah. really a thing then, it was sort of in its... Uh, emergence, if you will. Then there was a quality analyst. Again, if you look at the role descriptions there, that's a pure BA role, but there was a quality analyst and then there was a process analyst um, from social housing. And looking at roles later on, then you moved into the territory of total jobs, uh, indeed, and those places. After sort of tell a lie, uh, Ed Brown Group, that was from total jobs, now come to think about it. Um, but there were, it was very much in a more of a traditional way. Now, evolving from that, there was quite a lot of internal promotions to partner role, if you will. Um, and then later roles, LinkedIn, I think then LinkedIn, uh, one was a recommendation. So one was a, an invite to have a chat, which would, would then led to an interview. Um, so that was one that was based from somebody who'd worked with me before uh, yeah. and thought it'd be worth having a chat. That wasn't that it was a penalty kick in any shape or form, but just what could the role be? And I think that was useful because they were defining slightly what would the role be as well. Uh, and then the, a role after that then was from LinkedIn. And then from there on, I had my own business as a director. So it's been an emergence really. It's gone more from the analog to the digital. Um, having also used recruiting managers in my final employed role, a lot of people like yourselves, then you then see the value of because the BA role has evolved to such a piece, it's it's finding the plane. But yeah, yeah. analog to digital, I guess. Yeah, I guess to kick things off, then I, I suppose you can use it from both avenues. That you know, you from your experience when you've been in interviews with the experience you've now got looking back, and I guess on the opposite side when you've recruited, so you've been on the other side of the interview table. What would you say? Are the do's and don'ts for a BA within an interview? So let's start with the do's. Like, what do you think a BA should be doing in an interview to get themselves perceived well? Yeah, I think before the interview, when you've had the invite for the interview, or even when you're looking at the role, as an analyst, 
what does your analysis tell you about the organisation and what are your assumed assumptions of what will be the interview format. So assume there will be a competency-based interview. Assume it may be testing you on one of many elements of business analysis. It might be something more on the digital side. It might be something about how you work in that more scrum environment, if it's in that piece, or it may be, as in the case with many argued on, where it's what's the problem that you would solve, what were the tools you would have. So you might be ending up draw, expecting to be drawing box plots to show variation analysis, it might be process analysis, it might be root cause analysis, it might be in some cases where you think I may need to deploy an Ishikawa, the fishbone, which is you know the who, the what, and so on, or five wire analysis. So just have a guess or a, a decent assumption of this is the role that I'm going for, this is what the uh, advert has told me, and this is how I think the format is likely to be. Because as an analyst, that should be something you'd be doing if you got the job. You don't shouldn't be going into any meetings. It may appear you're going into meetings blind, but actually your subconscious and your conscious have been prepping you for there. So I think there's a preparation piece, and there's a preparation of assuming who's going to be in there, what the format is, and therefore making sure you're on top of your game of your various tools and your techniques. Having that, that should be a given. I think crucially as well, one of the do's and don'ts is to ensure you have manners. Ideally, that that's a natural thing, but these things are important because many recruiting managers may be looking to consider, well, what's your bedside manner and how would you be if you're out there? Because you, you, you're not likely to be micromanaged in the VA. You're going to be given quite a lot of trust out in the business or out in the organisation. So if you are a potential grievance machine, that's not necessarily going to land well. So I do think there's manners and consideration to your interpersonal skills and consideration and seeking feedback if you have anything that can be perceived as microaggressions or otherwise. So, for example, you can't tell from here, but I'm six foot odd, I'm a big lad. So, therefore, if I move my hands like that, which it tends to lot, some people are like, whoa, that could be, could yeah. that be it was aggressive. So, I wouldn't say I'll sit on my hands in an interview, but I would be mindful or at least draw attention to, you know, if I get sort of articulated passion, but rein it in. So, I think demonstrating some awareness of yourself, but also an awareness of if you needed to adjust, I think just gives off that message. From there, I think you should be expecting. I think it's the case for anybody for any interview, whatever role it is you go for, you should be asking questions and they should not just be forced questions in the car park before the interview. They should be relevant to the business, they should be relevant to how they're working. And you should probably some brave questions in there too. If you're not prepared to ask a brave question in the interview, or if you do ask a brave question, they're not necessarily happy to respond to that. Is that sort of organization you want to work in? when as a BA, you are wanting to get them to solve problems and to get to a point of improvement, unless, yeah. you know, you want a job. I think mean, there's a difference between wanting a job and wanting the right role that's yeah. to solve that. So do your homework with regards to understanding what's the company vision, understand from the company vision if there's been clarification on the company mission or the organisational mission, what the strategy is and the key business objectives. It's amazing how much information can be discerned from the website. It can also be amazing how much can be given by checking on Company's House. So the organisation that you're going for, are you doing a quick check on Company's House? Who are the current directors? Have they had any issues? Have they had any gazette notices or any other elements with regards to... I mean, that's useful as well. You don't want to go for a job for a role where they're, you know, they're about to be served and they're about to be wound up. That can happen too. As an analyst, you should be doing that 360-degree review including looking on Glassdoor and asking around, looking on LinkedIn, who is in the community, what are people saying, and just have your eyes open. 
People may be saying challenging things, but actually that's part of their, the journey that they're on. They want to face them and to improve. Mm-hmm. Your eyes are open from there. And also with regards to some organisations, for example, they may have recently received funding, they may have received investments, or they may be on a, a growth platform, or they may be within a particular geographic region. For example, if they're around Warrington, they might have dotted lines to SciTech. So there's various different elements. So it may be, for example, if you're in manufacturing, that the links into Industry 4.0 made smarter. And those approaches, so you're thinking, who are they the suppliers of services to, or who are suppliers of the services to them? So many business analysts have a tool called SIPOC, where you look at the suppliers, the inputs, the process, the inputs from customers. So again, you'd expect, you would do, even if it's an assumptive, SIPOC on the organisation. You'd be making an assumption and then you'd say, well, what can I do? So even if you had 10 minutes and the interview was dropped on you, this is stuff that you would expect you to have an idea of what's the life of business architecture, what's the life of structure of possible systems. Again, if they're manufacturing, they might have an MRP system. If they're in sort of wholesale or others, they might have enterprise uh, 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 ERP systems or otherwise, or they're in social housing, it will be the, the housing management system, the others. You know, how are they capacity planning? How are they looking at productivity? What KPIs do they have? Again, if you want to sort of stock the question, will be how do they currently measure performance from those areas? Again, as a BA, if the organisation is not comfortable providing some information, or just waiting to gather requirements, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But if you want to be stimulated, and a lot of BAs do want to be stimulated, and when we've seen BAs who've gone for roles where they've not been stimulated, it can often, I would say, assist depression, but it can certainly get people into a sort of a challenging place, if you will. And as I'm talking to you, I've just had a text from somebody who I've worked with who had previously been in that situation. <laughs> so, Small world. <laughs> a lot of BAs, there's that community of practice between yourselves. Uh, yeah. A lot of BAs have that network as well. So that's that- worth. That's worth noting then from a hiring manager perspective is, you know, make sure you're giving a good candidate journey because these BAs talk, uh, isn't it? So I, I guess I guess moving on from the, the do's then, what would you say, I guess if you had to narrow it down to three, what are the three biggest no-nos that a BA shouldn't do in an interview but tend to do quite a lot? So... I think, and I'm guilty of this, is just going launch into asking a few questions before you've done some listening. Because we were naturally yeah. wired with the five by analysis. Why do you do that? And it's passion. But as I said, just remember, particularly in interview, two ears and one mouth, there's a reason for that. Uh, and even if it's difficult for us, you know, but equally to counter that is just to make sure you've got your pen and pad, your digital analog or otherwise as much as so you can you can capture them thoughts and and remember it's a meeting about a role and about whether you're fit for that role too i think also just regarding is to consider the body language that you have got and look at the dynamics in the session and again i'm going to go back to the manners thing if you don't display manners some people may not be bothered about that i just think that it is important mm. that if you're going into that session wait to be asked to be sit, sat down you know and, and just have some politeness about that. There's an element of arrogance. Yeah. Also, even in an interview, if you're talking about you, just consider how often you're being self-referential, me, myself, and I. 
as a BA, as a collaborator, sometimes it's useful to look in the world in terms of we rather than the me. There's yeah. Um, and again, going back to that non-verbal communication, holding, <laughs> I've had one person who was great, but held a stare for far too long. Now, what has that got to do? But going back to that previous comment about a grievance machine, you could just think, can see this is going to end up. Yeah. So, um, and also is if you do make assumptions about how the organisation may be, is it, let them, you know, if you use that concept, this is just my assumptions, but I may, you know, I, could be, I, may, I may be wrong. I guess there's, there's a phrase, um, I don't know if you ever come across a book called The 48 Laws of Power at all. It's a great book. It's, um, <clears throat> it's, it's not a business analysis book, it's just a book for stuff in yeah. life. First, the first um, chapter is Don't Outshine Your Master. So even if you're passionate and you know, I think, oh, yeah, you can do it, just remember, that, you know, don't outshine your master, particularly in the interview as well. Yeah. I think one thing that I always get is feedback from hiring managers is I think sometimes BAs turn into robots in interviews um, in terms of the responses that they give so even just like how they describe themselves as a BA they try to talk too much um, because I feel like they can because their job is a lot of asking questions talking to people um, it's not keeping it concise and they can't a lot of the time, a lot of BA struggle with just saying, answering the question in front of them. It then ends up where they answer six different questions that weren't even asked at the same time. So I think for me, adding to that, I think one of the big do's and don'ts that I've seen at the moment is, you know, keep your answers short and concise and just answer the question that you're being asked. Don't feel that you have to answer everything else around it like they don't need to know the ins and outs of every single little tiny little detail it's just so they can get a feel for you I guess would you agree with that like have you seen that before I would and I think you've just seen it with my answers to the previous questions (laughs) I'm guilty I'm guilty as charged in that bit and that's the passion that comes but that's time to suspend it in an interview probably in this interview if truth be known I probably need to stop wanting to transmit but it it's countering that um, and re- going back to what should be the raw skill of active listening. What yeah. we do is we active listen, but then we often more actively impart that. I'm totally guilty of that. And I just did it on your previous question. Probably, what, you know, why use, <laughs> why use a thousand and fifty words when 50 would have done? <laughs> Don't be silly. Oh, this is an interview. <laughs> I'll put myself on a disciplinary for that. Sorry. You've had two disciplinaries for this chat already today. I usually get up to five. (laughs) (laughs) I guess just sort of following on from that last point then, obviously, when I, you know, I look at hundreds of CVs a week across product and BA roughly, um, you know, I see a lot of BA CVs that look more like job descriptions where they might have just copied and pasted the responsibilities from their contract or from um, like a job profile that they've got um, of what they do. Um, whereas when I'm speaking to hiring managers, they want to see what projects they've worked on, like how they were responsible in the projects and, um, you know, were they part of a team? What did they do? Like any challenges and the impact that that project had. Whereas you don't see many BAs writing that. I guess from your perspective, what do you think BAs should focus when writing a CV? So this could be helpful for both candidate and managing client expectations. 
Um, how do you think a CV should look that will truly represent the BA and what they've done? So I think it, uh, building on what you've said, which I think is right with regards to you've got your core headlines, if you will, mm. you've got the profile of what type of BA are you? You know, so in my case, it always said accountant to auditor to analyst, being counter to being checker to being grower. So it gives you a flavour and a little bit about your personality to so remember who you are as a person. So just, you know, so there's no surprises to them, that passion and trying to bring a bit of colour to a technical, a bit of colour to a black and white world. Yeah. So there's that little bit of a strap line in regards to that from there. And then some key headlines with regards to it may have been recent key projects that you've worked on. It may be that you've recently had an MBA, you've had a qualification or whatever you've had that's on there. So a combination of achievements and qualifications, just a couple of headlines on there. Then key sort of events in a little bit more detail. So it may have been that you'd worked on a project, let's say in home shopping for looking at part delivered parcels and you'd done a review. So it was a review of supply chain of, sorry, of, of re review of logistics on this that was brought in savings, projected savings of half a million by changing the course. So the what, the saving, the efficiency and what was there. It may be that you worked on, rather than on an improvement project, on a design project. So some of them key elements which are there. So that's sort of your more current stuff. Equally some good stuff in your back catalogue too. And also, this is an, in, I think that there's a lot of sort of people would totally disagree with me and that's absolutely great. I would, when and then to have the list of what you've done since you left school, even when you were during at school, include the coffee shop bit. And if some people say, why enough do I need to know about that? For me, that's gold dust. How better an example of understanding, you understand customer service, you know what cost it feels like. You've seen an angry man, you've seen an angry woman. You then know what that's like. And it's like the Mike Tyson thing. Everyone's got a plan till they're punched in the face. If you've been punched <laughs> in the face, get it written on there. Because actually, that's an amazing life skill. And going back to the bedside manner, these are important things. Some people totally disagree with that. That's fine. They can recruit whoever they want. I want to know who that person is. And some of the best BAs I've recruited is because of that part-time job. They had in that leisure centre and they had a challenging issue. One yeah. of the best BAs I had was lots of problems you had to solve that involved different teams. Said person had been in the territorial army, absolutely nothing to do whatsoever as a business analyst, but they were in the theatre, sort of the, the pretended theatre of war, and you had to bring in sort of helicopters and all sorts of stuff. That's project management in the go, but that's analysis of what requirement, that's requirements analysis and solutions provided there and then. Mm. That's wonderful. That actually meant more to me as a BA recruiter than you know, if you've done Janet and John process mapping, we got to the process mapping piece as well. Yeah. So, so, so it's the person, and then equally, if, if you've got written in there, it's just a little bit of a, the story of you. Now, that doesn't appear very commonly in BA CVs. However, in, for example, digital creatives, very often their CV will be equivalent by, it might be a YouTube clip or a TED talk or something along those lines. It's like you can see that or present it to yourself in that way. But what's the story of you? Because if you're wanting them to understand user stories, epics or customer journeys, and that is a story in itself and it is understanding, for example, the customer mm. journeys, the emotional impact, how did you feel? So if they can't demonstrate they articulate that up themselves in a CV, then you want to be asking, that's part of the question, what's the story of this person and what are they weaving in 
to there too. So that's probably a slightly different approach than you may have expected, but I do think no. an element, even if it's just a paragraph or so, of the story. Now, I totally get some BAs would be wary of doing that because some recruiting managers may not want to be looking for that. So That's I think this is where, and I think this is where for yourself in the amazing role that yourselves are in is that broker because you are that honest broker in between. Yeah. But if you've got the recruiting manager, it's possibly would that recruiting manager want to get that? So if you have somebody like me, you will have certain clients you have <laughs> definitely not even putting Jay anywhere near them because they scare him off a mile. You know they will be absolute marmite. So I think for, for yourself, because you're almost like that uh, BA Tinder mm. in a way, so it's <laughs> the allocation of that stuff. But in some cases, if you if I was your recruiting manager, your client, you'd be thinking, well, Jay, he'd love to know the stories, tell it, tease that out. And I think this is where the advantage of working with people like yourselves is you can assist and facilitate that conversation. 100%. And like um, when I ever qualify a job, I'll always ask, hiring managers what they want to see in a CV because every hiring manager is different they all look at CVs differently their eyes are drawn to different stuff um, and that leads me quite nicely onto the next question really to sign and wrap up this this sort of topic um, I have a, a, obviously I'll, I'll probably a few of my hiring managers are listening to this and probably saying is that about me but I do have a few hiring managers who when they say to me about CVs they're biggest frustration is when they get a cv from a ba that has spelling and grammar issues now from my perspective as a recruitment consultant i try to educate i understand it's frustrating because these people are putting documentation together you know their life is a lot around documentation and making sure that spelling and grammar i get why it's important but they're still not professional cv writers so a lot of the time you don't put as much effort into a CV as you probably would in the day-to-day job, especially if they're very busy. Do you agree with the hiring managers on that point? Do you think they should take the extra level of care with spelling and grammar in the CVs? Absolutely. The devil is in the detail. So <laughs> much as you can be forgiving on lots of other stuff, when it comes to that, that's the document that's got to be quality control, which goes out. If yeah. they're working on an improvement plan, if they're doing analysis and they didn't have that devil in the detail, it could be that you suck up a subtotal in addition to your other totals. And I've seen that many times, which could mean your figures could be out by £2 million if you're in a larger organisation. So if you've not got that attention to detail, and if you're not naturally wired as attention to detail and you're applying, you get somebody to read over your CV before it goes out. So I know when I'm looking at speed of thought, even though I think it's precise, it's just not, and you look at it, how's that happened? I'm sure I've done it in an email to you or three, but, in that situation there is pause for an hour before you send it just get somebody to run over it or fresh yeah. eyes on there the grammar should be correct communication is crucial as a business analyst either communicating to your internal clients into communicating across your team or informing as products have been developed or improvements have been developed communication inter- internally understanding how the psychology of language is. You don't need to have an ex- be an expert on that, but you need to have an appreciation of that then. And I'd say that that is as applicable for whether you're a digital BA or a traditional BA. So the devil is in the detail. Um, yeah. There should be a fan of beautiful design and there should be, you know, quality matters to those ends. So if you're not a BA who's got an appreciation of beautifully designed things and stuff, and that therefore includes what you are and how you present, 
there's a slight concern there, or at least what you would do on behalf. You may not be personally wired that way, mm. but on behalf of your client, that needs to be there. The checks and balances need to be there. If you look at the precision that's required, if you go back to a Six Sigma point where you're looking at defect parts per million, you know, one slight comma in the wrong place in a communication can send things going one way or the other. My Six Sigma um, project 15 years ago was looking at how underwriting decisions were informed by miscommunication. So an operative could be in there. And if somebody doesn't give a client, sorry, if, if in that sense, an operative in that contact centre didn't impart the correct information as part of a script that gives the sequence of information in the right way, it made a difference to three quarters of a million pounds per year on the, the underwriting decisions. The devil is in the detail. Thank you for listening into this week's episode of the Trusted Tech Talk podcast with myself, Rihanna, and my guest speaker, Jason Kingston from Cube Thinking. If you have had any questions about any of the topics that we've discussed today, please get in touch via LinkedIn or email me directly at rihanna.butler at maxwellbond.co.uk. The plan is if we get loads of questions, we're going to do a final summary podcast with all the questions related to all the topics that we've had in this mini podcast series. Also, don't forget, please make sure that you're following Trusted Tech Talks on LinkedIn and Spotify so you don't miss on any future or any past episodes that you might have missed that you might find of interest. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you so much for Jason for taking the time to speak with me today and uh, look forward to hopefully hearing from some of you soon.